I'm Sheila Shoiga and welcome to Ready To Be Real Conversations, the podcast series where I chat to people of all walks of life. Some names you'll recognise, others you might not, but my hope is that these conversations will at times inspire, challenge, educate, comfort or simply entertain you. This week I speak to businesswoman and mother Denise Phillips. I always say like when people, I would get a lot of messages saying like my sister's pregnant and I'm on my road, like I've had six fails, how did you deal with that? Someone else's happiness is not going to take away or add to your sadness. So by somebody having a happy life or a successful life, it's not going to impact you from having a happy life Mm -hmm. or a successful life. And when you're doing a fertility journey, that is so important to know. Denise lives in Newbridge, County Gildare with her husband Mark, their six-year-old daughter Beth and she's also stepmother to 16-year-old Ellie. Hugely successful in her career as the owner of Pello Hairdressing and co-owner of Irish hair brand Voodoo, last week she got the surprise of her life when she found out she was over six months pregnant. For the past 10 years she's lived with unexplained infertility. No periods, no ovulation and the lining of her womb was very thin. On their ninth cycle of IVF, she went on to have their little girl. And when Beth was only a baby, she took part in TV documentary, The Baby Makers, which followed the lives of couples for over a year who were trying to conceive and showed the reality of IVF. This was one of my favorite chats ever on the podcast. It's full of wisdom and practical advice, especially for those who are navigating the often challenging road to parenthood. She speaks about acceptance and gratitude and the importance of staying in your own lane. And when we spoke on Tuesday, she had just come from all her pregnancy appointments in the Coombe Hospital, where she found out she was almost 29 weeks pregnant. Here it is. So Denise, huge congratulations. Thank you so much. Baby number two on the way. I mean, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It's literally, I think yesterday it was the first day that I went... Holy moly, you're actually pregnant. Yeah. Is it just starting to seep in? Yeah, I suppose seep in. It was probably such a high the first few days. Obviously telling friends and family, but now after coming from the coom, when I've actually got to see my baby like properly, Mm. feel the relief of getting told that, you know, all of the organs and limbs and spine is good and the head size is good and that I've carried a healthy baby, or it's carried itself. Yeah. That was just, I was like, you couldn't even, I just felt like I won the lotto. Yeah. Literally. It's amazing. Yeah. It is the stuff of um, miracles. I, 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 when I heard you last week on Instagram, and I think like all of your followers and all the new followers you gained as well, were just in awe of this amazing yeah. story. And it is amazing. And it just goes to show that this story can happen to absolutely anybody at any time. Yeah. And I'm always a firm believer in belief, like in achieving and believing. And I always say, always through all of my rounds of IVF, people said, you know, did you ever get disheartened? I actually believed on every single cycle that I was pregnant. I used to stand in my hall and say, you are pregnant your body's, you know, receiving this baby and I'd obviously get a fail. So I believed on each even cycle that I'd done 
that I was pregnant. I really believed in myself, my doctors. I even, I, I believed that even when I had the fail on television, I believed I was I pregnant. I, I really believe in belief. Yeah. And then sometimes it just, you know, something might come up and it might, like, mightn't be meant to be. Mm. But I think then that brings you to the next step. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think um, for people listening, you are massively inspiring because especially if you have been through, whether it's IVF or something else and you've had disappointment, it's sometimes hard to keep the faith and keep positive and keep believing. But you had that each and every time. Yeah. You never lost it. And I always say to people like, if you have your vision and if you're tired and you can't see yourself getting that vision anymore, you can reassess. Your journey can change. Mm. It's okay to be like, right, you know, my main my main vision was always to become a mother. It was never to be married or it was never to be, it was to be a mother. That was what I wanted. I didn't dream of the white dress, the church, the wedding, that kind of stuff. I dreamed of being a mother. So... Mm. I didn't really mind. I knew there were so many other options that when or if I was tired or my body was tired or my marriage was tired at a certain point that I could reassess. And we had looked into adoption. We had got to the second round of that and fostering. Like I knew there was other that I didn't have to have a physical bet to be a mother. I knew there was always going to be. So that's probably where my faith and belief stood in. I, I know there's lots of different ways to get your vision and goal, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. So before we get mm. into your, I suppose, going back to your mid-20s and discovering that perhaps you were going to have a challenging road ahead, I really want to just talk about the now because you've just come from the coom. So this has been like you've been up crack of dawn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've come straight from the coom. You're yeah. here and I'm so grateful to you for making the time to have this conversation because I'm sure you, you could probably do with a nap at this stage. <laughs> I'm so grateful to be given this opportunity to share my story. Oh, that's brilliant. Um, so you, you came from the big scan and all of the appointments kind of in one, because obviously you only found out last week that you're pregnant. Yeah. And you thought you were about 26 weeks pregnant last week, but you found out from the scan of the coom that you're actually... 29 tomorrow. 29 weeks tomorrow. Yeah. So 29 weeks already, like... <laughs> You're in the home stretch. I know. I know. I may start milking it. <laughs> you have to. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. I really <laughs> am going to. <laughs> Do you feel a bit robbed? I did actually last week. I was crying for loads of different emotions because I loved being pregnant. Mm. Like, couldn't even, like, I was never sick. I didn't have any soreness. I worked until three days before I had Beth. I loved the everything. So I was like, I'm after getting 26 weeks or whatever taken away. Oh, my God, I can't. But now I just feel so blessed that my baby's healthy, that I couldn't care if it was tomorrow. And I didn't have anything in my home ready, you know. Yeah. All is good. Baby's growing well. And you were telling me as we were uh, making our way uh, to the studio that, you know, you don't drink, you don't smoke. So in a way... You know, you were you were already doing a lot of the right things without even realizing it. Absolutely, which is a great sense of comfort because not everybody necessarily would have that. You know. Yeah, I I think that babies are so strong though. I think they'll survive 
like they, they're just incredible. I think that we hear stories all the time of like these little embryos and babies just fighting through the odds and just really making us go, wow, you know, you defeated the odds yeah. time and time again. Mm. Just think human life, even in general, is just amazing. Mm. So for people who are listening, who are not aware of what you've been through, let's bring us back to your mid 20s, I suppose, when you had come off the pill. Mm hmm and realised that no period is returning. So I was on like every single pill. They couldn't seem to regulate or get one to suit me. And I don't think maybe, maybe the pill was a new thing back then. I'm, I'm not too sure at that stage. I'm 36 now, so you're talking when I was 17, maybe 18, 19, that age. Mm. But they took me off the pill completely and, and said, look, it will, you know, take a break. And my period never returned. Um... I spent the next kind of three years like in partly each hospital at gynecologists like getting bone density checks like they checked every avenue thyroid everything like there wasn't a test that I didn't get done I was in the well woman's clinic for a good year Clomid wouldn't even bring on a bleed for me um, yeah. so that was kind of yeah the next three years and I suppose I was a little, I was in my 20, so it wasn't that important as such. Mm. But coming to the end of the three years, um, we set a date, me and Mark, to get married. And literally two days after I came back from our honeymoon, we went to the Sims Clinic for our first consultation. Okay, so on the honeymoon, there was a lot of talk about what we're going to do next. Yeah, I think it was kind of like, it was obviously the next step, you know, we want to be married and then maybe, you know, start our fertility role. But we knew we'd looked into it and we had been told, like, you know, it's going to be IVF. I mean, I tried the Well Woman's Clinic, which is the step before you would go down IUI or IVF. And she'd done everything and she'd went through every avenue. And she was like, I think, you know, the next step is going to be a clinic. You just need to kind of choose a clinic now and, you know, get a consultation. And we went to an open day for the Sims. We mm. went to a few open days before our, our wedding and honeymoon. And then we had this organised for when we came back. They were the most advanced clinic by far at that stage. And, um, you know, it wasn't very convenient. There was other hospitals near us in Newbridge. But I just felt the doctor, I clicked with her. The machinery they had, the tests they had were very advanced for IVF. You've got to remember IVF's only 20, maybe 30 years old, like, mm. so it's, it's still quite new. And they were the most advanced, definitely. Yeah. So at this stage, you're in your late 20s. So about 10 years ago, or is it yes. more? Yeah, no, about about 10 years ago. Yeah, about nine, nine, 10 years ago. Yeah, sure, about six. Seven. Yeah, about 10 years ago. Okay. Yeah. So you're straight, you're straight into it right after getting married. Absolutely straight into it. When I think back now, I'm like, oh my God, my whole married life was fertility. Mm -hmm. IUI, fail. IUI, fail. IVF, acupuncture, timed injections. Oh, like our calendar wasn't full of occasions where our friends, our calendar was literally injection times scan times I had to be scanned every two to three days because my eggs would not grow without drugs they needed to give me a lot of drugs but with a lot of drugs like you're going left if you give too much your eggs will get too big and you're, that's your cycle gone so I was up there every two to three days I'd leave near which is seven o'clock in the morning drive up get my scan 
go into I worked in Peter Marks at the time and then go into work for the day mm. I was working two jobs Mark was working two jobs um, I was teaching in Clane College. I actually designed a course at night to teach over there um, to try and make sure, because at the time, I think it was about 150 euros per scan in The Sims. And you're talking every two and three days. I used to dread. I'd be sitting there going, please don't ask me to come up in two days, another 150 yeah, euros. Yeah. Like, but um, yeah, so married life, when I look back now, wasn't a pretty sight. For either of us, because if Mark crossed the road sideways, I would be on top of him. If I don't think I had Chinese like for two years or something like spicy foods and oh, like you became you know, obsessed, I suppose. Obsessed. If anybody asked me to do anything, I would have been like, how dare they? Do yeah. they not understand what I'm going through? Your whole family is affected by your journey. Mm. And I even say that with any illness or any journey that anybody goes on, it's not just you that's been affected. I think back, my, my younger sister got pregnant and I remember her saying to me one day, I couldn't enjoy my pregnancy around you because not be, I was never, I'm not a jealous person. I wouldn't be like that. And I celebrated everyone's christening and, and stuff like that because no one knew I was on my fertility journey. I was still yeah. young, like, you know, I didn't tell anyone I was doing IVF. Oh, did stage. you not? Oh, no. Okay. No, no, it was far, far in. It was like when I became pregnant on Beth that I told. Go away. How did you yeah. keep quiet? Oh, you're so, you, you, listen, you're so ashamed. Well, I, speaking from my point of view. Okay. You're so ashamed of the fact that you are paying to have something that's so, so natural to others and that you've grown up watching the women around you give birth and, and have, you know, beautiful babies and pregnancies. You're paying for your child. I mean, it feels like you're buying something and... That doesn't sit right for me. This is just from my head space when I was so young. You go shopping for food and clothes mm. and pay for that or you pay for your nails and your hair to be done. Paying to have a baby is, is quite difficult to digest as a woman. Your friends are out buying their shoes and handbags and you're saving your money for an IVF clinic. Yeah. That's hard, like, that's tough on any woman. And you don't realise the significance of the strain that has on you as a woman. Yeah. While it's happening. I wonder if it's spoken about enough, the psychological impact of, be it IUI, IVF or whatever fertility treatment a person is going through, what it can take out of you, but particularly, you know, going through rounds and rounds and rounds of treatment. Do you know what, uh, Sheila? I think any fertility journey is tough. Yeah. Because the woman's fighting for that baby. So even before IUI or IVF, with IVF and IUI, your body is completely shut down in a menopausal state and rebooted with drugs so they can control what's happening. Mm -hmm. So that's physical and emotional. Yeah. Um. Like, I was inserting a gel up my vagina till I was three months pregnant on Beth. Yeah. 
yeah. twice a day. I remember being at Ed Sheeran's concert and having to show the security guards my injections going in because I had to take them timed injections. You have a 15-minute window. If you miss your window for your injection, your whole cycle could be gone. God, yeah. So it's quite intense. And again, if you and your partner are doing IVF, it's still up to you. I mean, all, like if it's a man that's doing it, they have to give their sperm and the sperm sits there. Mm-hmm. And then it's the woman fighting, you know, mm-hmm. and you become kind of envious because they're your, they're your only person that you've probably told for a lot of women that I know. They've literally told nobody, only their partner and their life isn't changing. Yeah. Yours is. It's like even when you're pregnant and they're going out about and you're like, bye, <laughs> you know, same sort of thing, but obviously much more extreme. And again, it has to be said what a strong couple you guys are, because unfortunately, and I'm sure you're probably the same as me. I know a lot of people who haven't survived fertility treatments oh who, who have who have just went, can't do this anymore and have separated as a result. And it's heartbreaking. 100 percent. But. I remember turning around to my husband and saying to him after I had Beth, I don't care if you leave, I have my child. So I don't know if it's your hurt and you're trying to even hurt them back because you're so hurt to your journey or I don't know, you become distant. You've got to remember, right, that when you have sex, like when I have sex with my husband, I have sex to enjoy us, to love him, for our closeness. You know that when your sex life is good, your relationship is good. When you're having sex every week, your husband's in flying form, and, you know, yeah, yeah, and in turn, yeah. the house is clean and all these kind of little things. Totally, yeah. Right? Yeah. When you're doing IVF, if Mark asked me for sex, like, I mean, first of all, I'm injecting stuff into me, up me, around me. I'm getting prodded every two days for practically two years back to back because I had no cycle I was able to go back into my cycle straight away okay yeah so for him to ask or want sex would you know there was very little of us so the intimacy part starts to to dwindle and then with that the communication does too Mm. so it all has you know a very relevant point and I can see why so many couples would split up like Definitely from both sides. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's it's um, I, I you know, you've, you've touched on so many big things here. And and again, like I do often when I'm chatting to somebody, I'm picturing the person listening and perhaps what their own experience is and what drew them to maybe listen to this conversation. And there'll be so many people who will want to hear from you because you are so inspiring and you have been through such a tough journey yourself you really haven't had it easy by any stretch of the imagination um and it's also your attitude with it that is so real but also so positive that I think is given a lot of hope to people but I just think the whole area of fertility the financial pressure the emotional pressure the pressure puts on your relationship mentally physically it's it's just so huge and I I, I still feel like there's a lot that needs to be uncovered about it um, and, ed- and and that people and women and couples are empowered before they go into it. Oh, you, they, like, because there's no funding, I think it was, um, I remember when I was, I don't know if this, the statistics have changed, but mm. Ireland and Lithuania were the only two countries in the EU that didn't diagnose infertility as a disease. 
from by the health organization which is soul defeating for women to be infertile or struggling with fertility and for someone to say to you you can't have any help financially or emotionally no counseling no, I, I went to counselling with Mark yeah. but we had to pay for that as well yeah yourselves so there's there's very little and like the government are fighting and we have TDs fighting for years and years but at the end of the day I mean like to say to somebody that their fertility journey isn't significant enough to get help yeah. from your government is mad yeah it is mad mad I know so many women that have said, you know, I just can't afford it. And I, and I get that. I do get that. And, you know, I can't put my relationship through this again. And I totally get all of them points. But this still doesn't leave the woman. My mom always says, you have your number. Like, you have your number. So if your number is two and you can't have that number, it still tails you. Mm. Like, it's still, you know, it's still there on you. Like, And that was your number, wasn't it? Two is my number, yeah. I used to be like, Mom, if you say that one more time to me, I'm actually going to go mental. It's not as easy as that for me. And she'd be like, no, no, Denise, you know. I think, you see, as well, our parents probably aren't as educated. And that's really important. And it's it's hard for people to get educated because it's such a lonely road that people don't want to scream and shout about it. Yeah, It's so personal. It's so strenuous. That when the woman's going through it, she doesn't want to shout out, hey, I'm infertile. Me and my husband are going through IVF. It's not something that while you're on that journey that you're completely proud of. Yeah. Saying the word infertile. I know that's what you were told. Yeah. Like my doctor said to me, Denise, of all my patients that I've ever seen, if somebody said to me, could you put one of your patients forward? That would be the most unlikely to get pregnant naturally. She said, I'd put you forward. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry for laughing. But she was laughing. This yeah. guy, and she couldn't believe it. This is yeah. a doctor, like, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, she couldn't believe it, like. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I had no lining in my womb. Right. And no eggs would grow without drugs. So if you scanned me on the 1st of December or scanned me on the 15th of December or scanned me on the 20th, my womb would look identical at all times. Right, so when you say no lining in your womb... It would measure no, no, no point one. And normally you're meant to have a certain... I think it's like, I can't remember now, but it's like six or seven to actually, for implantation. Yeah. It could even be nine. I can't really remember the numbers. But it has to be a certain thickness okay. for the embryo to be implanted. So not only did they have to grow my eggs, but then they had to work on my lining to make sure that implantation would be okay. Okay, and again, it's supplementation, drugs. Drugs, yeah. And you found that out in again in your 20s, late yeah. 20s. Yeah. Tough to handle that. I, I was and the word is, I, how do you feel about the word? I mean, obviously, <laughs> now, it's kind of like, I see you're infertile and I raise you. <laughs> 29 <laughs> weeks pregnant yeah. thank you very much but like you know it's 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 such a harsh word and I've spoken to experts who don't necessarily now like it as much they say subfertile rather than infertile but look at there's probably no one that's infertile for deafness and you've proven that yeah I was okay with the word I became very I accepted my infertility okay now when I say accepted it, that was, I really accepted it, like in the last two years. I was okay with it. 
I was, I believed it made me the person that I am today. So I was actually quite, I was quite proud of it. I was quite proud that I actually got to wear that t-shirt and represent it. Okay. Um, I, I talked about this like kind of last week to my friends. The last year, maybe year and a half, I really found myself again because I think that I can, I was, so when I was going through infertility, I became the new Denise. I became this, the, the really um, lonely. Mm-hmm. I became the very hard. Um, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. I became mm-hmm. the non, not a bit fun. I became a new version of myself that was enwrapped in my journey. And so I believe this happens to people in any journey, like if it's grief or weight loss or whatever their journey is. Mm. I was now not Denise. I My personality had, had flipped. I spent hours reading books on, you know, fertility. I, that's the conversation I'd have with my husband. I watch programs on it. I, you know, I love educating myself. So I educated myself as much as possible in a field that I knew nothing about. Mm. Um, I became very, and on the outside, I was very successful. I had a salon that was really successful. I had nice holidays, nice clothes. So to the outside world, I looked like I had it. But inside, I was hurt in and even after I had Beth, because I'd I'd been that person for so long, I was still that person. Like I didn't have Beth and go, oh, I'm back to myself now. Okay. Let's go. Let's go to like 700 concerts. I became the person that was like, um, I, I was still lonely. I was still into myself. I was still, I couldn't see that I was separate to what my journey was so that my fertility wasn't me. Mm. I was I was the infertility, whereas that was only a tiny part of me. I still should have been able to be Denise on a journey, but I wasn't. It wasn't until the like literally Beth was about four that I started, um, you know, listening to podcasts and reading a lot. Now I was always positive. I always, like I said to you, I always believed in myself, believed sure. in my journey. I opened my salon when Beth was nine months old, all that kind of stuff. But inside, I'm talking deep inside of me, mm. I wasn't completely content. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I get that listening to you, and I think anyone listening would understand that too because you're so single focused on this one thing that finally manifests on the ninth attempt was it yeah and you have your baby girl but you're probably still in a state of in a way trauma because it's been such a difficult few years for you and especially with the fact that you kept it to yourselves for so long that your body got very used to that your mind got very used to that environment so it was, it was difficult probably to break away from it. Yeah. Um, it's incredible to hear you speak about acceptance because I'm, I'm a big believer that and, and I know listening to you speak and the books that you read, the work that you do on yourself, that 
a big step towards making any sort of change in life is to accept where you're at. Isn't it interesting that you speak about getting to a point of acceptance that this is perhaps, you know, my path, this is the way it is. And yet, whatever, two years down the line, you find yourself pregnant. Absolutely. That you brought about some sort of shift and change within you by accepting where you're at at that particular moment in time. And and the power of, of being grateful and being positive and all the things that you now really do lean into each and every day. Yeah. I think I was kind of like... Although I was so grateful and I used to wake up every morning and say, thank you for Beth. Thank you, like, so, so much. I wasn't fully grateful. I was kind of like, yeah, you worked for that. You know, you earned that. Which is true. I know. Which is true. But gratitude is much bigger than that. Yeah. You know, I remember, (laughs) I remember becoming aware of how I reacted in situations. I don't know if I was listening to a Pat Tivoli podcast or something. I was in Wexford in the forest and I was walking through and he's like five steps. And yeah. I'd seen something online and I was like, oh my God, that's so inspiring. And it was basically, you know, there's no fight if you haven't got a reaction. So nobody can have a fight with you or an argument with you if you aren't arguing back. Mm-hmm. A fight takes two people or an argument takes two people people it's 50 50 you are responsible for 50 percent of your relationship so when i'd be like you know say mark oh he's doing this and he's doing that and i'm like why did that bother you so much denise like why did it bother you that he left the toilet seat up (laughs) to a a state that you actually caused an argument why did so when i started becoming aware of the tiny little things that I was doing, like, what do you mean? You didn't know the dishwasher, but you were in a rush. Why didn't you? And then there was, I'm stressed, and then he's stressed, and then there's a fight over a dishwasher. Like, what the hell, Denise? Like, there was, just put the dish in the dishwasher, like. But then I became aware of all these little things. Then the big things I was able to start becoming aware of. So the big things that I reacted to. And it was mm. literally from, like, reading and... Because before that, like I said, I was positive, but I still wasn't giving out to the universe what I was expecting back. You know, I was still like, why is that person in a mood with you? Maybe, maybe they're going through IVF. Maybe they're in an abusive relationship. Maybe it's not you. So I, and I, obviously I have, I have a huge staff. I have like 26 girls working. So, and I think we're five years. So, even my growth through being a boss, like stepping back and going, you know, this is, I'm not, I'm not Pello. Pello's my son. I'm not Pello. I'm Denise. Pello's Pello. So if somebody's giving out about Pello, it's not personal to me. They're giving out about the hours. Let's sort it out from work. Stop taking things personally, Denise. You know, mm. they're not going, I can't, you know, there's too many clients booked in with me or something. And I'm going, oh, will you ever just, come on, like, let's move on, like, blah, 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 instead of going, well, she actually isn't working well like that, and this is a job, it's a job, it's not her life, it's a job, it's a tiny part, let's try and make it work, and when I became like that, my business just boomed, mm-hmm. all my girls were so happy in work, and I just started filtering that into other parts of my life, and then obviously, like, the last year through lockdown, just completely 
was on its on its flip side with me. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. I'm listening to you here with a big smile on my face because you've hit on so many big things for people. You know, I think, you know, self-care has become so important, particularly over the past year and a bit with with COVID and and how it has impacted people and people realise now God, we have to look after ourselves mm-hmm. and what can I do to help myself feel better in my life but when you speak about that and really looking at things and looking behind the reason why you're getting irritated or annoyed or whatever it is that's big because when you start to take your own personal responsibility for your behaviour how, how you're responding to something it is transformative and I've been that soldier myself so I get I really do get it it's interesting when you say that when you see somebody perhaps behaving a certain way you now ask yourself what I wonder what's going on with them or maybe they're going through this that and the other and I think when we do start to realize that if we are irritated by someone which we all are it's human we don't love everybody you know I'm going to scroll sometimes and find something annoying not often but sometimes but it's good to say why why am I annoyed by that? 100%. Is it because of their talent or success or is it because I don't agree with their point of view? What is it that's irritating? So when you look behind the reason, yeah. there's something to be learned that can help you yourself. And I think when people start to look at things that way, it's, it's so beneficial. Yeah, it is. Like I always say, hurt people hurt. Yeah, totally. But then on the other scale of things, I myself am that person that's on Instagram and I was actually thinking about this a few weeks ago. I'm scrolling through Instagram and I'm seeing this ad. And now I have my own brand, so we use influence marketing and it's huge for our business, like massive. Sure, yeah, massive, yeah, yeah. right? So I'm scrolling through Instagram and I'm seeing these influencers all do the same ad and do the same content for the ad. And I'm like, oh my God, flip, 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 flip. And then I'm like, why are you so mad? They're over there just doing their thing. <laughs> They're not even, like, they're just making a few pounds, <laughs> doing their ad, following their brief. Why are you getting so annoyed? Just mute them for a day or two, because you actually do like them. And get on with your life, Denise. Like, do you know, instead yeah. of being like, onto your friend or something, being said like, do you see such and such? Or, you know, <laughs> yeah, I think, but we're all human. It's just being mm. aware. Being aware. Being aware, like going, oh, like when you, I always say, like when people... I would get a lot of messages saying, like, my sister's pregnant and I'm on my road, like, I've had six fails. How did you deal with that? Someone else's happiness is not going to take away or add to your sadness. Yes. So by somebody having a happy life or a successful life, it's not going to impact you from having a happy life Mm -hmm. or a successful life. And when you're doing a fertility journey, that is so important to know. That just because that you don't know if that other person had troubles, you don't know what you, they mightn't even want to be pregnant. They mightn't even want to, you know, they might have yeah, yeah. fall accidentally. They might be in like a terrible relationship. They might have so much trauma going on, and we just see the outside, yeah. and we go, oh, like she doesn't deserve this or she doesn't deserve that. Whereas if you stood back and put every single bit of that focus into yourself into working on yourself, into your little circle, into your family home, into your four walls, it comes back. Mm. It really does. For Lent, I done um, 40 Days of Kindness. And I, like, I, I done a, a chart on Instagram and people were like, how are you doing that? And actually, like, on day 12, I was like, I'm finding this a bit difficult, like, to think of acts of kindness to do, like, bring my neighbour over a cake or, you know, pay for coffee in a shop. And I was like, Day 12, I was like, 
I'm actually struggling to get, geez, I'm going to have like 18 more days or, two, you know, whatever, more days through this. How am I going to get through this? And then I wrote a list down about how, like, people don't kind things for me. And mm. then I done them. But I was like, imagine we find it more difficult to do kind acts sometimes than we, then, and it's easier to, to be mean. Yeah, yeah. And mean to ourselves. Mean to ourselves. <gasps> Very you know? true. Yeah, so I, I do think that when you're on a journey and you're lost after the journey, that's when I think you need to try and work on yourself. Yeah. Um, people say to me, I picked up that book and I couldn't read it. And I say, I picked up that book. I picked up that book when Bet was one and I couldn't read it because I wasn't ready. That's right. I wasn't ready. Like, yeah. The book is amazing. The podcast is amazing. Yeah. But I wasn't ready for what I had to teach me. I'm I'm a massive believer in that. I um I there's a book that I love now and it's one of my favorite books, but I was gifted it in my 20s and it's Deepak Chopra's Seven Spiritual Laws of Success. But I remember picking it up when she gave it to me, this gorgeous woman in Galway. And she went, I want you to have this book. I just feel like, you know, it's going to mean something to you. <laughs> and I felt really guilty because I went, I don't get this. Yeah. And I tried and I kept you know, putting it aside, bringing it up again, reading it. And of course, years later, I went through cancer. I, I'd studied yoga and I studied lots of different forms of yoga, but one of them was Deepak's. And obviously the book was one of the fundamental books you had to read as part of your teacher training program. And it was like the penny dropped. She was right. I just didn't know it at the time that I did need this book and it would become a really important book in my life. And, and it is like it's really made sense to me in the past 10 years. Um, but I didn't get it. Was that the book that changed? Like, you know, people say I became aware or I awakened. Was that your book that? De- definitely. It just felt like doors were being opened in my mind. And um, and it landed with me, as you said, I I, I didn't get it because I wasn't available for it at that time in my life. Yeah. I wasn't ready for it. But then life happened and, you know, the passage of time. And then I was like, oh, I'm ready for this now. Yeah. I think yoga is really, I started yoga as well. And I would have been the type of person that, you know, when people have been meditating, I used to watch people say, if you haven't got time for meditation, then you definitely need to do it. I'd be like, oh, here <laughs> we go again. Like if I hear one more person saying that. But I started doing yoga two minutes a day, building up to three minutes, so on, me and my daughter. And it was, the book for me was the mind, the the mind of, the the Code of Extraordinary Minds. Oh yeah, great. That was book. my book, right? Yeah. And I remember him saying, this is how I started yoga, I remember him saying, meditation is not turning off your brain. If you turn off your brain, you're dead, like you're gone, yeah, right? Exactly. What it is, is being able to focus on something and when these thoughts come into your head, like dishwasher needs to be unloaded or the washing needs to be done, you're able to refocus your, your mind. Exactly, yeah. So for me, meditating is, you know, when I do my yoga, to be focusing on what I'm doing, my breathing with my daughter, spending that time. And then when my mind trails, being able to bring it back. And that's came into my life when negative thoughts came in. So when I've thought about you know, my cancel cycles when COVID hit there in, in March when I was ready to go for IVF. I, you focus on them negative thoughts and allow the feelings to come through and then bring your mind back to a positive. Mm. Don't overlook your feeling that you're feeling. It's okay to be sad. You're going through a shit show, like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're going through a 
traumatic time be sad you like you've earned that right it's horrible what you're going through but don't focus there for too long mm. don't stay in that little zone for too long refocus and that's when your gratitude and your compassion and forgiveness and all them steps that you can take by practicing them daily and you have to practice them daily or, or weekly because you, your mind is is a funny little devil mm. and he can take over at any time and I always say even to my husband your mind believes what you tell it yes so if you're telling your mind that you're going to become pregnant someday you will Mm. Or if you're going to tell your mind, I'm going to be a mom someday, you will. Mm. Whereas if you're telling your mind, oh, another fail, oh, another, you know, that's all the mind hears and it just starts believing it and you start believing it. I think it's really important to speak to yourself the way you would want to speak to your children or to your best friend. Yeah. Yeah. So now at 36, how would you say you're different to your... 26 year old self the partying probably is one (laughs) (laughs) I would say I learned to forgive I learned to forgive myself from my past I learned to forgive others for maybe the hurt that they've caused me in you know or whatever situations I'd say the forgiveness one at 26 if somebody said something or done something I you'd hold I'd hold on to it for 10 years like or mm. five years be angry about it. I'm not talking to her she done that on me when I was 15 or you know I can't believe like three years later you'd be saying to your siblings I can't believe you done that when I was 12 and like stop like that's the past that person is isn't the past You know, you are what you are today and every day is new. Like, I am not, if I do something wrong, which I'm going to, I'm Mm. human. If you don't think that I'm going to do something wrong, then you're going to be set up for a fall. Because by God, am I going to do so many things wrong in my life that I'm going to shock you to death. So don't put me on a pedestal and think that I'm a superwoman. And don't put me on a pedestal and think that I'm not going to say something that you mightn't agree with. But tomorrow's a new day. And when I wake up tomorrow, that's a fresh start for me. That's a fresh start for me to believe things that maybe I didn't believe in yesterday. Or, you know, it's so important to realize that just because five years ago you were this mean person or you might have bullied somebody in school or like, I don't know, you know, what situation you're in. You don't have to be that person today. Yeah. You can, you know, change yourself like... And I feel that if you dig hard enough, you will find a past for everybody. So when I, like, if, you, if I hear somebody saying, oh, she done that, I'm like, oh, here, her granny probably did as well. Like, yeah. you know, if you yeah. dig hard enough, you yeah. will find something bad about everybody. So what's important is that you focus on that person, on the people around you today and you yourself today. So if you've had numerous fails of IVF, you're not that fail. This is a new start, a new day, a new story, a new journey. You can reassess it. You can take a different option. You're not your failures. God, that's brilliant, Denise. You're not your failed. Yeah, that's so. I think that's a huge one. You have, I mean, I I was looking forward to chatting to you, but 
you really are blowing me away. You're so wise and you get it. You get it. But that is a big one, isn't it? You're not your fails. You're not your failures. Because so often we are we're damaged by pain, painful experiences and struggle that we worry or we're paranoid and fear then takes over from from feeling that sense of belief or faith that it'll work out this time. You get so scared. Yeah, someone said to me the other day, Denise, are you not scared? And I said, no, because I'm after being gifted with a pregnancy. Yeah. So if tomorrow something happens, if I go to my scan and they tell me that, you know, this baby isn't meant to be or, you know, I'm, you know, there's something wrong there. That's the way my journey's going to be. That's a part of it. I'm also going to process that part of my journey. And I know that's a bit, oh, but like, you've got to remember that I'm after getting pregnant naturally. So yeah. in my thoughts... If this baby wasn't meant to be, I would think, well, I'm after getting pregnant naturally once I can do it again. Mm. Do you know? So, yeah, I think that we are very traumatized. And I think still, if I wake up tomorrow with and have a day of fear, to that's OK as well. I don't yeah. just get rid of my trauma. But what I do is I have my day, I have my feelings, I write them out, I journal them. I make sure that I'm so aware of how I'm feeling. I tell the people, I communicate with my husband. I tell him how I'm feeling. I say, I'm having a really bad day today. You know, I feel like what happens if this is going to happen and what, you know, especially when you're going through IVF, it's every hurdle. Like you get to your egg stage and you get 40 eggs and then they have to fertilize with your, your partner's sperm. Yeah. And then the embryos have to last to day three or day five, right? So then I remember on the TV show, they're like, why aren't you getting excited? I was like, no, 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 we need to get to embryos. We need to get to blast three or day five because day five embryo is almost, it's, it's, there's a million, million more cells than day three. And again, day three is a million more cells than just a fresh, right? So yeah. every, every part is an obstacle. And you have done all the criteria. You've taken your drugs, you've had no life, you've paid the money and yeah. you could fall at any hurdle. So it's quite stressful. You're waiting on a phone call, then you have two weeks to mm. wait. Mm. Yeah. At this point, I just want to kind of recap because I do want to talk about the fact that you did Baby Makers. It was a documentary mm. on TV. It was absolutely brilliant. I remember being glued to it myself and I was just in awe of all of, of the couples and people who took part and were so real. Mm. And uh, I think helped a lot of people who watched. But so... Anyway, you were told uh, in your late 20s, you're infertile. So really, we're going to have to start upping the treatment here. You did IUI. Yeah. That didn't work. Then you decided to do IVF. So for people listening, we won't get into the nitty gritty, but essentially my understanding is if I was to use one word to describe both, I would say IUI is internal and IVF is external. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But it's still, it's not, it's not like IUI is an easier process than IVF necessarily. It's different, but it's still going to take its toll on you too. So you had that to contend with. So you'd done your Clomid, you had tried everything else. How many, how many IUIs did you try? Oh, I, I think it was three before they moved you to IVF. Okay. Three fails. Right. So IUI is basically the same sort of drugs. And then you get a trigger injection to release your eggs. And then you have sex with your partner or insert the sperm. Yeah. Inside of it. So that's failed. Okay. And then you move on to your IVF if the IUI doesn't work. Or they could put you straight on the IVF depending on what. I was young. I was only 26 or 27. Yeah, you know, okay. So they tried that first. Um, 
Then my IVF, I had a bad track record, record as well, like 40 eggs, six would fertilize. With bet cycle, one survived, it was her. I overstimulated. Only she, one survived? Yeah. That's amazing. The most I ever got was two. Mm. And that was on my last cycle. Okay. Um, and because I was on so much drugs, my ovaries overstimulated. So it wasn't safe for them to do a fresh transfer, which happens a lot of the time with women. Right, yeah. So now the embryo is in the freezer. Then they get my womb ready. That embryo has to defrost correctly before it can be implanted. So you also have that stress because it has to look like a fresh embryo before they'll implant it, basically. And Mm -hmm. they don't want to implant unless they think there's a high success of, you know, chance of success. And there's a grading system, isn't there, with embryos? Yeah, yeah. Beth was an A. I used to say, well, she's either the one to the litter or the cream of the crop because she was the only one left. So she's one or the other. Yeah, she certainly (laughs) was the cream of the crop. Yeah. (laughs) And actually, I I do want to talk about Beth. We'll we'll, we'll get to her a a little bit later. But um, so... So thankfully it worked, but that you had already gone through eight rounds at the yeah. stage that hadn't. Yeah. yeah. So on the ninth attempt, yeah, you have your little yeah. baby girl. Yeah. Um, you find out you're pregnant when you're thirty. <clears throat> I found out on my thirtieth birthday. Yeah, twenty first of June, and I always said I wanted to be pregnant before I was thirty. Like I have that in. I have I've journaled all you're my life. You're a powerful manifestor. Yeah, yeah, and I. I knew I was pregnant, well, you know, I, I, I hoped, and I was at my thirtieth birthday, and we went home that night, and it, like half 12 or one o'clock in the morning or whatever I'd done the test and sure there was like Mark was just ecstatic and yeah yeah yeah. and then you decided to go again and do another round of IVF when she was 18 months yeah and that's when you also had a film crew following you for the for the documentary Baby Makers <clears throat> so I can only begin to imagine because I, I did a documentary recently myself over the past year on the topic of miscarriage. So I, I get how difficult it is to be that vulnerable and that real on camera. It's not easy. It's not easy. They were amazing. Great. It was, it yeah. was a crew, of mainly women, but I... It's, they, do you know what? For those listening, it's the same production company that made the miscarriage documentary that made... Baby makers and they're they're a good bunch. Special people. Yeah, yeah, really good. Um, so so you felt safe. Yeah, and I was very vulnerable, and I done everything on camera, so I never got any results. Um, like I done my test live on television with them. Yeah, I done everything with them. So I wanted to show because I feel that, you know, when you're going through an emotion, yeah, and you right then when that emotion is happening, that's when. That's when it's most relevant. An hour later or two hours later is never going to show your vulnerability. It's never going to show how much it act, how much pain you're in or how much, because you've processed it a little bit more. Yeah. So I felt that if I was doing this, I wanted to bring awareness because you've got to remember your whole family are, are fertility survivors here. It's not just you. So I wanted to show families what a family goes through mm. when a woman is doing her fertility treatment. How much it affects everybody. They were in my job. They were in my, they were daily with me. They were travelled in the car on the way to appointments with me. They seen me give out to Mark. <laughs> they used to think he was a saint. He probably is. <laughs> they were there. They were in my home. And to be honest, it was, I, I feel really grateful that they were a part of that. I know I had a fail, but I feel very grateful that I had these women around me at that time. 
I wouldn't change it for the world. Like, that's yeah. great. But in saying that, it was still a really difficult thing to go through in the sense that watching it back on TV, I would imagine, was was a tough watch. So I done around straight after that. Now they didn't televise that because, and I was kind of glad in a way because it was another like it was one day before transfer, and I was just so sick. Okay. And I was glad they didn't because I did feel I let the fertility clinic down because... Oh God, not at all. Did you feel that you did? I did because my story with Beth was a success. Yeah. And it gave people hope. And then I went on. Now, it was so funny because when they done a transfer, like they filmed the whole thing, the film crew were in my transfer. Um, legs up in the air. and But I remember the doctor saying, Denise, I'm delighted because it was a perfect implantation. So when doctors are looking at this documentary, like my implantation was just spot on. And I was so happy for her, like, you know. Yeah. And I can pinpoint the exact time as a Blessington Lakes on like day about 13 when I said to Mark, this pregnancy didn't hold. I can actually pinpoint it. I could feel it in my body. I knew I was pregnant because when that when that embryo is implanted into your line, your womb, you are pregnant. Yeah. One million percent. Now it's just up to the body to hold on to us or your mind and your belief. So this is the most, the lead up to these two weeks for implantation, people are like, what, what would you recommend? I'm like, podcasts. What I'd recommend is to work on your mind. Eat whatever you need to eat. Don't be so stressing about food. Don't be stressing about exercise. Work on your mind. Yeah. Work on your mindset. Hold your husband's hand. Feel your belly. Believe in yourself. Believe in your doctors. Believe in the drugs. Visualize the baby. Like go on Pinterest. Pick out all of your baby's clothes. That sort of stuff. Do that thing for yourself. Because that's where your belief comes from. Everything else, like, you know yourself, like what, you know, by eating a certain food, it's not, it's not going to change the fact that this baby is meant for your family or not. Yeah. You know. It's such a huge step, isn't it? Your mindset and stress and fear and all of those things and what part they play. So if you allow yourself to feel stressed and, and paranoid and worried and this is not going to work, unfortunately, that will have an impact but the same goes for the positive thoughts yeah. you know and, and, and that's quite that's quite a loaded statement actually and I'm sure there are probably people listening who might be thinking you know oh well that's not true I was so positive and 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 it, it didn't maybe work out so I understand that that's quite a yeah but that was me a loaded like, statement as well yes I think the fear will always be there and again it's like just trying to bring your mind back yeah I'm not saying that you know I, I was positive before I had Beth and I was, I was, I believed every single time, like I said to you, I believe this is my time now. This is definitely it. This is definitely it. And it wasn't to be. And I'm not saying that was because my mind, obviously just that the timing was wrong for whatever reason, or like I have great faith. Um, I know there's not everybody. And when I do talk, I don't like talking about faith because people are so mixed opinions on faith. My faith, I am Catholic, but I believe that you can have a faith, like a blessing. It doesn't have to be God or it doesn't have to be a religion. Yeah. It's a faith. It's, yes. It could be your, your faith could be your circle, your parents, your partner. You know, it could be nature, whatever your faith is. I do believe it's really important to have a faith, yeah. somebody to surround yourself in, someone that you can kind of nearly manifest your, you know, your journey to. 
It could be a yoga teacher. It could be any anybody. It could be a mentor. But I do believe your blessings and your faith are, are, are quite important to have, no matter what it is. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. So you, you said there you were at Blessington Lakes. Yeah, I went out for a walk with Mark and Beth. And I said, I'm going to sit in the back of the car um, on the way home. And he was like, why? I was like, I actually feel really uncomfortable. And I just started crying in the back of the car. I was holding Beth's hand and I said, Mark's looking in the, you know, the wind mirror. And I said, baby's gone, like. And he was like, what? And I was like, I just, I'm not pregnant. And he was like, like five hours ago you were like and I was like yeah I was and I'm not now I could actually feel the baby leaving me like I was like I could feel the switch in my mind I could feel the switch in my body I started getting discharged about an hour later I was like that's it now and he's like do you want to do a test and I was like no I think the film crew were coming on the Tuesday or something I said no I'll wait till Tuesday and he said, are you sure? Like, we could do it together. And I said, no, I want to show, you know, because obviously you still have that little glimmer, like, you know, because yeah. at such an early stage, you're four weeks pregnant, even though you've only been implanted two weeks. Even at such an early stage, you know, you still have hope and like, you know, a flicker of light that, you know, that's not the case. That's, you know. And it can, it can be, I've had, I've heard of loads of stories where people have bled and still got, you know, still had a successful pregnancy or, yeah. you know, this has happened to them, but then the baby went on to thrive. So I suppose that day or two is kind of next, well, processing it, like, you know, yeah. and then when the film crew came, we'd done the test and yeah, I was like, in my head, I was like, the people that are out there now watching this are going to be so deflated. I felt like I wasn't giving them hope. But in hindsight, when I look back, I was shown the reality. Absolutely. I was just about to say. Yeah. Like, and were you putting that pressure on yourself? No, not at all. I, like I said, I had Beth, so it was a lot easier for me to show that side of me. Uh-huh. Because I had my dream. I was a mom. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't like I was still searching fully like although I was still chasing let me tell you and I'll touch on that in a second but like I was still chasing stuff that I didn't have at this stage like wanting the second child like I was moving house before COVID like this like to like a huge house for what like Denise for who for you you're actually really happy in your home like you know so I was still chasing at this stage Beth was 18 months still chasing the next child I was still chasing you know that's something like instead of just being content in so now. Yeah. yeah so instead of I don't feel like there was any pressure on me because I had Beth so the pressure was a little bit off me because no one's going to ask you when you're having kids or you know how's it going and people's sympathy isn't the same for you when you have a child so it's good like as in you know when when you're trying to have a child and you're failing mm. people's sympathy is going to be absolutely huge like the you know, they, you know, they're going to be like, you know, I'm so sorry, like and stuff. But when you have that one child, it's even though it is as hurtful for the person from the outside world, you know, you, yeah, yeah. you have a child, you're lucky kind of thing. So, yeah, I was still at that time searching for this extra bit, extra like, <laughs> you know, it's only in the last, like I said, two years that I'm like 
so content with everything I have around me. Mm. I feel like if my home was gone in the morning, I wouldn't care. Like mm. materials, like someone said to me uh, through COVID, what about your salon? I said, what about it? Like, you know, it's a, it's a job. It's not my life. It's yeah. I can pick things up somewhere else, do you know? Yeah, yeah. So Yeah, but you have your priorities in, in the in the place they are truly meant to be, which is which is great. And I do think a lot of people have had those wake up calls this year that they have reassessed what's important and realised what's important. And sometimes what's important to us is right in front of our eyes. We don't see it. Um so yeah. So that was that was then and you still have one little frozen embryo. Frozen yeah. embryo. Um, yeah. I heard you speak about the fact that you were even considering adoption and then there was obviously another IVF round that you were considering doing um, and then COVID hit. So there's a, lo- there's a lot that still happened before you found out that yeah. you're now pregnant. Yeah. So I was booked for January 2019. Um, work commitments came up. I have a salon in Dublin and I decided, you know what, I'm going to give the Dublin salon eight to 12 weeks. It needs me. Um, it was only brand new. So I put my head down and, and focused on that. And it was a hard eight weeks in, in the salon, but it was just a, they're just an amazing bunch of girls. But anyway, so March hit and I had my protocol and the Sims emailed it over. And on whatever day it was, they rang me and said, Denise, we think we have to close our clinic, but we're going to do everything online. So Dr. Lula's going to have a, a Zoom or a WhatsApp or whatever with you. This is literally COVID just hit. Yeah. I said, all right, OK. Just didn't think that of it. So Luda called me and she said, it was three days later or something, she said, um, they're actually taking steroids off the market. They're not allowing us to administrate them. And you need steroids for your cycle or, you know. And I said, oh, really? She said, yeah, we'll just hold out. At this stage, they didn't know whether they're going to be opened, closed. Yeah. They didn't know if they were allowed to see patients. People's cycle that were mid-cycle were cancelled in clinics. God, and it was, awful, yeah. it was an awful time. I mean, I will never forget the messages from women during that time in that March. I couldn't even begin to imagine. Now, I think anyone that had a transfer booked was okay, but anyone that had collection was you know yeah. a lot of the clinics anyway that was March that was grand and we went into lockdown and uh, I was probably pretty content with that and I can't remember what month I was starting back I can't remember if it was June, July it was the summertime, and I was out cycling I was probably lis- I was listening to a podcast and I fell off my bike and uh, fractured a bone in my arm okay. went straight to Nice due to start my my cycle 10 days later I'll never forget it so everyone like knew that I was going to start my cycle so I'm in Nace Hospital and they say to me you're going to need physio on that for the next four to six weeks and if it doesn't heal itself we're going to have to operate so unfortunately you can't go ahead with your cycle until four weeks until we see if it's healed or not so (laughs) when I think about it now it was so, it was just like the universe. Yeah, so I but said, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, <laughs> so I said, right, okay. So I was doing my physio through NACE on, on yeah. the um, computer. And my, I remember at one stage, it's the weirdest thing ever. I remember the one stage when I went in to get my x-ray done, I was bawling. The tears were like literally dripping from onto the ground. I couldn't even lift my arm up. Mm. And I remember during one of the physio sessions, um, the nurse saying to me, 
our main thing is that you'll be able to eat, like, you know, put your hand up to your mouth, right? And I said, really? And she said, yeah, like a lot of people with that um, fracture never actually fully, you know, regain it. But once you guess that movement, you won't have to have surgery. And I said, all right, great. And within week four, um, my arm was perfect. Like, it was like, no, it never happened to my arm. Like, it was <laughs> like, there, like nothing happened to my arm. Yeah. And um, they said, no, no, you don't need an operation. And it was them kind of four to six weeks that, I really was after been working. It was just me and Beth on our own. I was really after been working on myself. And I, we were due to go back to the salon then. And I said to Mark, it was August. And I said, Mark, I don't think I want to do IVF. And mm. he said, what? And I said, I'm actually sick of chasing this second baby. I'm sick of it. Like, it's actually draining the life out of me. And I'm quite content with Beth. Mm-hmm. And he was like, no problem, whatever you want to do. Obviously, I'd love another child. Obviously, I would. But totally respect, like, you're the one that has to go through it. I said, look, we'll have Christmas. We'll enjoy this. I'm back in the salon now. They're back opened, and it's going to be absolutely manic. I'm going to throw myself into that. My voodoo brand was soaring, like, literally Mm -hmm. just (laughs) skyrocketing at this stage. It was actually, no one ever thought it was going to do what it done. Well, I did, but, uh, you know, <laughs> but um, I was like, I'm going to take a break. So obviously then <laughs> I got rid of every single baby stuff in January, like every single, like the last of the baby stuff in January, because I was so content. I was like, I'm actually, I'm not putting myself in my marriage because we nearly did. There was times we nearly did break up like. Yeah. And I was like, why am I, why would I go and put my six-year-old through this now? Why would I go and put my mom and dad through my erratic mood swings and hormonal changes, as well as my team? Because they, mm-hmm. they're, you know, they, like, although, you know, they're very understanding and stuff like that, they, they still have to listen to me if I'm, you know, hormonal or whatever, like taking drugs and stuff. And they've been with me since the start. So them girls were with me since, you know, Beth and, you know, all the way through. So I was like, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm just, I'm so happy, Sheila. I can't even tell you. I'd sit there and be like, this is my perfect day. This is my, I have my perfect life. I have the life that I want. Yeah. And then obviously God decided to give me really what I wanted, you know, like, you know. Deep down or, you know. <laughs> so I mentioned that book earlier, right? Yeah. The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success. And one of the laws in it that I speak about whenever I, not always, but when I give wellness talks, I often come back to this one law out of the seven. Um, that for me was was a huge like, whoa, I now get this. This is massive. And it's called the law of detachment. And The word detach sounds cold and strange, but when you really delve into what it's about, it's about letting go, surrendering to whatever is going to be. And there's a classic line in it where it says there's magic in the uncertainty. So when you let go of that need and want desire to have something be a certain way, which you obviously did because you completely let go of that and you went, Wait a second, I'm happy now. When you start to let go and surrender to the now and being content in the now, you allow so much to enter into your life, which is what happened to you. Absolutely. 
So fast forward to, is it October? Out yeah. of the blue. Out of the blue. You I had. Sp- stayed with my mom and dad because I was having a bit of a stressful time. Um, I went, obviously go to your mom and dad all the time when, you know, pack, packed up Beth and I went out and I stayed with them. And my dad said to me, do you have a period? And I said, no. And he said, well, look, there's blood on the bed in there. My dad went in to make my bed. And I said, dad, I haven't had a period in 10 years. Definitely didn't have a period. And my mom said, well, it's not me because I'm through the menopause. Yeah, my yeah. mother's like a complete lady. And she's like, well, it's not me. You know, and she thought it was so funny, like, you know. And um, I have amazing parents, like amazing parents. But I said, um, definitely wasn't me. And then later that day I was going to try it and there was blood like in my knickers. And I was like, like I don't... My ma- there wasn't even any pads in my house. I think my mom found one from like 1960 <laughs> or something. Like, and I was like, oh my God. So I actually thought it was just a bleed from stress. So I, I, it was very light and it probably lasted three days. Yeah. And <laughs> Mark actually tells me now that I said to him, I bet you I'll get pregnant. Like I said, did I? And he goes, yeah, you did. You're like, oh. Mark, I went home like, you know, three days later or something. I said, would you believe, because he, obviously he's never seen me have a period. Yeah. So I was like, would you believe I had a period? And he was like, what? And I was, he, I, he was like to me, yeah. I was like, he's like, I've never seen you have a period. And I was like, yeah, I did. So I told Dr. Luda, I told two of my really good friends, one that's had a miracle story. Oh, and... Another one of my really close friends said, I actually had a period um, the other day. And they were like, all right. Anyway, October came and Luda said to me, well, and I said, no, nothing. She said, just look at, let's see what happens in, you know, or sorry, November. Let's see what happens in November. And nothing came in November. I chat to Luda all the time, like regardless of me doing IVF or not. Mm. Obviously, she gave me my daughter. So I just think she's the most amazing human being that will ever walk on this planet. So, um, I said to her in December, no, no sign. That was it, look. I never even gave it a second thought. Like, I never... I just thought that it was stress. It was a light bleed. I was like, it probably wasn't even a period. Like, I, you know, it was just... I didn't really focus too much on it because it never happened again. Yeah. So I just went back to my normal, like not having a period I actually used to think I'm so lucky I don't get a period like do you know <laughs> yeah well that is another yeah. way of it too um, right so fast forward a few months and you think you know you're, you're training you're, you're watching your food you're really into health and well-being and you think you're you're Putting on a few pounds. Oh, Sheila, my friends are in stitches, right? So I got <laughs> food. I always get food. I don't cook. I'm a really bad cook. Right. And I changed, you know, you'd be watching Instagram, watching influencers. So I changed the company that I was getting the food off. Right. And a few of my friends that are influencers were getting the same company. And they have screenshotted messages from me. I actually must put them up on my Instagram. There's too much pasta in that. My stomach's so bloated. (laughs) Literally, because I don't normally eat pasta. And some of the dishes are pasta and rice in them, rice. And I'm like, lads, them dishes are full of pasta. (laughs) No, like, when I think back to it, right? So I'm like, I'm not, I had signed up for four weeks. And I I texted the company saying, I won't be going ahead with the food anymore. And he's like, any issues? I was like, no. Literally, on my walk, me and Sarah went for a walk. I was like, look at my belly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that just goes to show you what pasta does to your belly, right? 
Uh, also, my friend Zara. So the, had, poor, the poor company were they? No, they didn't. I'm sure they just thought I was just signed up. Zara, my friend, I went out for one walk or through the whole of COVID and she took a video of us. And I said, do not post that. I have a belly in that. <laughs> and she was laughing away. And I said, like, I actually have a flabby belly. And like I said, I never held me weight there. Yeah. It was always my bum or my legs. My belly was always flat. If I was a size 14 or I was a size 10, flat belly. It was my shape. And I was like, this is so weird. So I went to acupuncture when I was 25 weeks. Now I know I was 25 weeks. And it was, I was telling her my whole story. I was a new acupuncturist. She's actually above my doctor. I was telling her a whole story. And we went through everything. And she treated me. And <laughs> like my, now my bump was very small. Like when I think back. Because anyway. Yeah. Then next, she gave me herbs. I took the herbs. She should take one a day. And if you don't, I couldn't go to the toilet. Like, that's, and I hadn't been to the toilet in about a month. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. So I hadn't been to the toilet in a month. So you were thinking it was digestive? Yes. All right. Hadn't been to the toilet in a month. And I always had, pro- I, d- I wouldn't be a regular, like, poor. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So then I went to my GP. Yeah. The next week after the herbs didn't make me go to the toilet. And obviously she knows my history. Yeah. I mean, like, like they obviously, that was the doctors that I went to when they'd sent me. It's actually right beside the Wellmans Clinic in Newbridge. Like, so it's, it's all relevant. Like, and uh, she, she examined me, like she examined my belly and I don't want to like, she, like, obviously she's very upset with herself that she didn't do a test. But I mean, I was in for, like, I I was in for it. I didn't have a period in years. And when she said to me, I said, when she said to me, like, we said something and I said, she said, when was your last period? And I said, I didn't really have one. I, t- I think I bled in like October for a day or two. And she was like, all right, okay. So I sat up in the bed. <laughs> she examined my stomach and was like, oh my God, there's so much wind inside of you. She turned me around and examined my bum. Right, yeah. Put a uh, light up me and her finger up my bum to okay. make sure there was no liaisons in my bum that the, that was stopping me going to the toilet. Now this is only like a week before I found out I was pregnant. Yeah. And wow, right. gave me a clean prep because I wasn't, I, I had tried Andrews. It didn't make me go to the toilet. So this was my last resort to go to a GP to try and get me to go to the toilet in my head. Like, yeah. And she gave me a clean prep that you have before the cameras. So, and she gave me a follow up of Movacol for the next few days after the clean prep because I was quite bloated at this stage. And like, obviously she knew my stomach and she was like, Jesus Christ. So I went home and done the clean prep and I barely pooed. My mum, I was like to my mum, like, I barely pooed. Like, I remember getting that camera 10 years ago and I remember pooing, like, <laughs> like properly, <laughs> been beside the toilet. Not, I went over to my mum's with Beck because Mark was working in case I needed to poo too much and I wouldn't be able to look after Beck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you yeah. get me? I yeah, was like yeah, ready yeah. for all this pooing. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to clear my bells. And my stomach wasn't, obviously, didn't go down. Mm-hmm. So I didn't take the Movacol. Right. So I, I said, I'll wait a day or two now. I was like, because she was after recommending me. She was after, I was waiting for the call from Clean for the camera, which I got the next day. And they said to me, look, you, I was going private. You, we can get you in with the doctor next Thursday. I said, brilliant. I said, I'm not even going to take that Movacol because if the clean prep didn't make me go to the toilet, yeah. this is hardly going to make me go to the toilet. I said to my mom, I think I have cancer or something like there's definitely something wrong with me oh Jesus you were worried like yeah I wasn't okay. worried but I was like there's something going on I want to go to the toilet <laughs> what's going on yeah 
And then um, I was doing yoga and I was lying on my back and my belly button popped and I got an arm or something and I was like, there's actually a human being inside of me. It was the most surreal thing. Wow. I was like, I didn't even believe it. I was like, what? How? When? Who? And then that was the Saturday and the Sunday I'd done a test and it was one of the clear blue ones and I got two in a pack and the first one didn't register and I was like, that was a waste of 16 euros. That was a total waste of 16 euros. Like the two boxes were blank. I was like, grand. And then I said, look, I'll do the second one and within 30 seconds there was two blue lines and I just, like I knew anyway but I didn't. Like I still felt like Oh, but I didn't have a period and I didn't have IVF and you know if I'm pregnant I have to be months and months pregnant yeah. because I knew it was the I knew the exact date that I had a bleed and I was like that means and even when I rang Luda she was like yeah you're probably three months and I was like no Luda I bled on like the 3rd of October or 2nd of October and she was like right well, come into me so the Monday I went straight into her and when I went into the first room obviously she put the hot thing inside of me yeah and she's like wrong room into the other yeah. room yeah and then we went in for the abdominal and yeah because that's only isn't it up to three, three months. months yeah so I didn't read like the screen that she had wouldn't really be for a proper you know, like like scan, scan. Well, maybe it was, but maybe I was just in too much shock. I couldn't like even process it. She was like 24, 26 plus weeks. I was like, yeah, and that would make perfect sense. I was like, she just couldn't stop laughing. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, how rare is that as well for I'm sure that's a first for her in her career. I definitely think from my extreme it is and I definitely think obviously doctors they I'm sure they do believe in miracles but I'd say they won't believe in them as much as us because they're scientific you yeah. know like you know I used to say to Luda what what will I do you know is there any tips and she's like take the drugs just you know take the drugs mm. so I think people obviously that are you know like she's so educated she's so well educated and um but I do think you know, how do they process that? That's the thing. And like, I, I remember speaking to um, Rosanna Davis and she, I did a podcast with her, yeah. but she was also in the documentary and, um, you know, we were, she was obviously, uh, you know, well into her pregnancy when we sat down to talk for the documentary. And no more than what you were told, she was told by every doctor she saw that, um, you know, it's not going to happen for you naturally. It's just, it's just not. Um, and yet... There she is. And there, she, you know, she was at Defying Science. And then and with twins. And with twins. Naturally. Yeah, so there, she's an example of how you can be told one thing, but something else can happen. And, and again, you are. And that's why I find that stories like yours, stories like hers, give so much hope yeah. and belief and inspiration to so many women and couples. And that stuff is really important that we get those messages out there. That they happen. It does. And you know what I really want to say, because this became very relevant to me. Obviously, I remember where I was when Rosanna announced. Yeah. And it was magical. Like, and I remember the whole of Ireland being so happy. Such a beautiful girl, beautiful family, dreams coming true. You just, 
your heart would fill. And everyone feels the same for you. I, I know. Do you know? I remember hearing her news and me still, a little part of me for that moment said, it still won't be me. Really? Like, yeah, because you're... you're Conditioned? Not conditioned. Will I be that lucky? Will I be that, you know, I think that I probably, I wasn't pregnant when I found out, obviously her news. When, how old are they, her twins? Now, they must be one now, are they? No, they're not. They're only, um, was it November they were born? Oh my God, yeah. Think so. um, but I think that you just it's like anybody's journey you know if you see somebody that's had like got their break or got their you know you think oh isn't that amazing you know but you, a little tiny pan goes although I hope it's me it probably won't be do you know like as a okay. human being you kind of do think that if you see someone that's in stardom or someone that's after getting the job promotion you know, beside you or someone in school, say when, you know, when you're in school and someone gets the, the prefab or, you know, and you think, oh, God, yeah. I'm delighted for them. And I hope that will be me someday. But inside, you kind of doubt yourself like, oh, I probably won't be that lucky or something. And I remember thinking, you know, now I really wanted to get the point across that you are special, you are amazing and it can be you. It really can, like, mm-hmm. it won't, like one million percent can be you. To someone listening who needs to hear those words, that's going to be like, yeah, a, a, a bam around their heart. Um, who who perhaps is struggling and suffering and feeling so down and so deflated. Hearing that from you after all you've been through, it can be you. Yeah, that's so powerful. But it can. Yeah. And you can do anything. Anything like. Yeah. Imagine that you can do absolutely anything. You don't need. You need determination and belief. And yeah, hard work along the way, whether that's, you know, hard working in your job or hard work on yourself. It doesn't come easy, but it can be done. Mm. And. I do think that if you are down and you're in that place that you just can't get out of, just don't stay there for too long. Just don't stay there for too long. Reach out. Every single person around you idolises you, loves you, will help you. Mm -hmm. Like, if you reach out, because you can't accept help unless you ask for it. So if you're like rock bottom, whatever your journey is, even if it's not fertility, if you're rock bottom and you think there's no light, I can't get out of it. I'm such a failure. I keep on failing. I see it all the time, even with women, just even on diets, like they just feel like such failures. Oh, I can't start again because I failed. And like I said, tomorrow, you're not the person that you were when you were failing. You're that new person and you can do it. And you might fail again and you might fall again. But you can also get back up again. Mm-hmm. And you can also get back on track again. It's just important not to stay down there, whatever your journey is, for too long. Do you know, have a point where you can say, hi, sister, hi, a friend. I need you to come around and, and help me. Yeah. So. 
This has been an amazing conversation. I have no idea how long we've been talking. We could be talking for 10 minutes or five hours. <laughs> I have no idea. But um, it's it's I know this is going to help so many people who listen. So. Yeah, it will. It will. And what you're doing and what you're doing with your Instagram page is you're using your platform in the very best way that anyone can use it. Because you're being real, but you're inspiring as you go. And, um, you know, I think everybody's behind you, you know, for the next how many weeks are left now? 12, <laughs> 11. 11 weeks left oh. until your baby is in your arms. Um, we'll, we'll, be, we'll all be with you and shouting from the sidelines. Uh, but look, one person I haven't spoken about really, we haven't spoken about yet and we have to talk about her is your gorgeous little girl, Beth, who's six. Who's your precious little person. And I can only begin to imagine the excitement that she feels knowing that she's going to be a big sister. Yeah. It was so funny because I really want to touch on this because the last three months I spent telling her she she wanted she definitely manifested this baby because for four months solid she was like please ma'am and I kept on saying to her you know if God is lucky enough if we're lucky enough to be, you know we can't just demand a brother or a sister we have to be given it we have to be lucky enough so we have to be really grateful for this beautiful home that we have and you know all the nice things that you have and and if we're lucky enough we might have one. So that was for about four months. So that really comes in with the timing because the last three months I've spent telling her, it's just me and you, buddy. Me and you. Isn't this just great? Isn't this house just brilliant? We'll get a dog and it's just me and you and daddy and all this kind of jazz. <laughs> and then I was like, she was really accepting of it. She was like, okay, yeah, that's fine. And then... I said, you know, we're going to have a baby. And she was like, but what about the dog? <laughs> I was like, that is totally my fault. Like, <laughs> literally, like 100%. Like, now she is the most kindest oh. six-year-old. If you met her, anyone that meets her, she's very special. She's is, she's the best version of me and my husband could you know when she got the best parts was like all children they're so beautiful their minds are just so innocent and just beautiful yeah and she's every bit of that but um yeah she's so excited now and she's kind of asking you know questions like you know did I do that when I was in your belly and it's there's six years between me and my sister and we're best friends oh brilliant and I'm like there's going to be six years you know between um, Beth and her sibling and I'm like I can't wait for her to grow in a home with another sibling I think regardless of if it's the mother and father growing up in a home being brought up by the same two people is very special yeah you know you've the same two people rearing you that connection is so deep it's it's and I don't even mean I, I don't even care if they're but bio, biologically not your children or yeah. if they're biologically not siblings but if they grow up in the same home with the same worlds wrecking each other's heads and you know just by the same parents I think that is so special yeah like to have that in your life is more than the law. And Mark has a child, so he has a stepdaughter. And we have a, I have a stepdaughter, but it's different when it's in the home. And I'm not saying that anybody that's an only child either has any less sure. of a connection. Yeah. 
but I know how special my siblings are to me and they're the people that you could ring with no judgment. Mm. There's they ha- nearly kind of have to accept you even when they don't want to because <laughs> your mom and dad would kill them like you know but um, I think then obviously then as parents when you're gone to know that your your children have each other mm-hmm. if you're lucky you know if, if yeah. life works out great I mean I'm not saying any, Beth would be any less loved or a person if she had been on her own but it's just something that fills my heart because yeah. I was reared in a very happy, loving home with my siblings. So to be able to give that to my child, I feel very lucky, you know. And you had your number. I know. You had your number. It's amazing. Yeah. So come here, the next 11 weeks, you're going to be busy. (laughs) You're going to have to, like, what's on the list? What what do you need to get? Do you know what? I have a mobile home in Wexford. And I said to Mark, do you know what I'm going to get now? I'm going to buy one of them little... I saw them in Aldi and they just fit the side of the bed because obviously the mobile home is small. And I'm going to get a disposable bath and I'm going to have a baby bag and I'm going to bring my family down to my mobile home for the month of August because obviously Beth will be off school. Brilliant idea. And I'm going to need nothing. I'm going to, like, you get sucked in so fast to all of these contraptions and all that baby needs is you. So that's literally what I'm going to do. And then I'll assess and get the house ready for, you know, I'll obviously paint the nursery and buy nice things. But I intend to go down to Kirklow if the restrictions are lifted, please, God, by August, Beth will be on holidays and just have a month with my family. That sounds blissful. Like, how? Like, how? That's (laughs) what a perfect plan. I know. Perfect plan. And you think about when we were reared, like by our parents, what they had, which was feck all. Absolutely. <laughs> we turned out OK. Absolutely. Relatively speaking. <laughs> it's debatable. So you're right. Like, what do you need in the beginning? Yeah. yeah. There's certain things that are probably crucial, but a lot of the other stuff, you've done it before as well. So you'll know yeah, what worked and what you needed and what you didn't need. We do put pressure on ourselves because I was like, oh, my God, I have nothing. And I said to Mark last night, if I gave birth to this baby tonight and got to bring her home to this house, that's enough. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Denise, I am so filled with love and excitement for you. You're an amazing woman. Thank you so much. And I'm so delighted that you took time, because I know it's not easy. You know, you have a lot going on to take time to sit down and have this conversation that I know is going to help so many people. So... You're just brilliant. Best of luck for the coming weeks Thank and months. You very much. I'm visualizing now you guys down in your mobile home having a gorgeous time. It's going to be absolutely amazing. And thank you so much. Thank you for having me so much. <laughs> if you enjoyed this chat, please show your support by leaving a rating or a little comment on Apple and by clicking follow on Spotify. I would be so thankful. You've been listening to Ready to Be Real Conversations.